This edition of the Generations Radio program originally aired in 2018. For additional shows on hundreds of topics, search our archives at generations.org. Welcome to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you. I'm a homeschool father of five, also a pastor of a church out here in the Eastern Plains of Colorado. Steve Vaughn in studio with me, homeschool father of six. And today we're going to consider worldviews, basic metaphysics, basic origins. We want to ask the question, does evolution provide for anything of a precondition for the other worldview, the anti-supernaturalistic materialistic worldview? Indeed, evolution is a linchpin. In the metaphysical perspective that states there is no God, there is nothing in the supernatural, but it's purely the materialistic that matters because the materialistic is all that is. Again, my friends, that's a basic presupposition that underlies the K-12 schools generally across America as well as the universities. And, and of course, some 99.6% of biology majors in universities across America are taught from an old earth evolutionary perspective. So anybody who takes a slightly different perspective on it is going to be uh, relegated to the playground in the university. They're going to be ostracized from the academic elite. Now, it turns out that again and again, the actual scientific observable data since Darwin provided his theory has not comported with his theory. Darwin's theory is effectively dead. Dead, D-E-A-D, dead. Darwin's theory is dead, and it has not evolved very well (laughs) since the 1860s. Here's a quote from The Origin of Species. This is the man himself, Charles Darwin. He said, Why then is not every geological formation and every stratum full of such intermediate links? In other words, he's talking about intermediate links between species. Non-heart-lung animals somehow turned into heart-lung animals. There had to be intermediate links between them. That makes sense. Yes. He says, so where are they? Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chain. And this perhaps is the most obvious and gravest objection which can be urged against my theory. The most obvious and gravest objection urged against his theory. By the way, it's not a theory. It's a very weak hypothesis. So it's the first problem. A theory is not a theory until it's got some data behind it and and data for long-term evolutionary speciation is the one thing darwin was lacking data yeah he needed data he needed the fossil record bummer (laughs) yeah bummer a hypothesis without data boy that's a bummer yeah that's a big bummer and think about the hundreds of millions of people who have been deceived by the theory in the 99.6 percent of biology majors across america Uh, absorbing the irrational concept of evolution hook, line, and sinker to the point that, uh, well, scientists increasingly become irrational, blubbering idiots when they give up on a decent definition for science itself. Yeah, claiming to be wise, they have become fools. Yeah, exactly. That That is precisely what happens with the brightest philosophers of the Greeks and the brightest philosophers of the Romans. And the brightest philosophers of the post-Christian humanist age of our day, claiming themselves to be wise, they became fools. And that has happened over the last 150 years. 
period. The brightest scientists, the brightest philosophers of the day, claiming themselves to be wise, they became fools. Even as the Apostle Paul defines the Romans, the Roman philosophers, and the Greek scientists of his day. Same, same deal. Same deal. Claiming themselves to be wise, they became fools. Fools. Well, here's the bombshell. Comes from naturalnews.com. It's all over the internet right now. There's all kinds of stories on this one. These two researchers from the University of Basel and Rockefeller University, they've they've did some search, some research on mitochondrial DNA and found that no animal species are more than two hundred thousand years old. I'd say about six or yeah. so. But, Give it more yeah. like six, but oh well. Yeah. yeah, what's what's a couple of hundred thousand years between friends here? Yeah. But it's uh, significantly different than millions. Oh, yes, 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 exactly. We're we're looking at, you know, humans and apes were supposed to be around some, you know, 10 million years ago and the dinosaurs 80 million years ago and and other lesser forms, you know, hundreds of millions of years ago and so forth and so on. Well, now they're saying, oh, no, no, it couldn't couldn't have worked out that way. Evolution is a myth. There's no, no, no way. There's no way the evolution of species could have happened. No way, no way, no way. Mitochondrial DNA... This study has revealed no animal species more than 200,000 years old. All right. Darwinism is dead. Put an RIP sign on it. Rest in peace. It's over. Bury him next to Hollywood. Darwinism (laughs) is over. Yeah, bury Darwinism next to Hollywood. We'll be back with more of of the Generations broadcast in just a moment. What happens when a culture that was established and guided by biblical principles abandons the faith and seeks to live by its own wisdom? In his latest groundbreaking work, Epic, The Rise and Fall of the West, Kevin Swanson unfolds the dramatic history of Western civilization, highlighting the phenomenal impact that Jesus Christ and his people have had upon the thought, culture, and institutions of the Christian West as well as tracing the slow but devastating decline of Western civilization and the key factors that have led to our spectacular fall over the centuries. A sobering narrative of gospel hope, this book urges its reader to greater fervency in the work of discipleship and the development of an international vision for the church. This is truly a must-read for any Christian seeking to understand the times and seasons in which we live You can claim your hardcover copy of Epic, The Rise and Fall of the West by visiting generations.org slash store today. That's generations.org slash store. And we are back on the Generations Radio Broadcast. Kevin Swanson with you. Steve Vaughn also in studio today as a new study has come out. These studies not not produced by Bob Jones University, as some of you may have expected. No, this is Rockefeller University's Mark Young Steckel and University of Basel's David Thaler. They have done a study on mitochondrial DNA and found that no animal species are more than 200,000 years old. And they emerged right around the same time. Humans, other animal species, thousands of animal species emerged around the same time. Yeah, I, I would say... Within days of each within, other, within be my days, guess. Yeah. yeah, within days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Animals, plants, yeah. humans emerged roughly around the same time. Yeah, in the beginning. Three, four, five, yeah. six days, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, they did not conclude that. No. <laughs> All right. 
But but in comparison to the billions of years, they, 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 that they, would be within days. They, they, they should refer to somebody was there. That that would be good. That would be a good start. Eyewitness news. Eyewitness yeah. news. Exactly. <laughs> All right. A surprising new study is casting doubt, serious doubt, on the popular theory that modern animals are the result of millions of years of evolution. After looking at the mitochondrial data of thousands of animal species, including humans, researchers reached the stunning conclusion that nearly every species dates back just 100,000, 200,000 years old. The study was carried out by University of Basel's David Thaler, Rockefeller University's Mark Young-Steckel. According to the conventional narrative of evolution involving adaptation based on genetic mutations and survival of the fittest, one would expect older species and those of big populations spread across the planet to have greater genetic variation. Okay, you follow yeah. me here? Yeah. That's the evolutionary assumption. However, the researchers actually found that 90% of the animal species have mitochondrial DNA variations that is similarly low. Now, get this. The scientists were taken aback by the finding. Here's Thaler. Okay? Thaler from Rockefeller University. Here's what or University of Basel. This is what he said. David Thaler said, this conclusion is very surprising, and I fought against it as hard as I could. They've been doing that yeah. for years. <laughs> oh, I know. They've been fighting <laughs> yeah. against the facts for a very long time. Yeah. Pesky facts. The pesky, pesky facts. Oh, the pesky facts. Yeah. Oh, that somebody would find some facts that could just justify our godlessness that has been embraced with so much zeal. You know, the whole idea that God doesn't exist, God has no ethical requirements of us. This, of course, the reason for evolution. The reason for evolution was obvious, to distance man from God so that, you know, God would have maybe, worst case, wound the whole thing up and then walked away from it. That's what they were hoping for. Yeah. That's what they were betting on. And so Darwin showed up and said, hey, I've got a mechanism that might work. <laughs> maybe this will help. <laughs> you know, if you don't want to believe in God or believe that you're ethically responsible to God, maybe this will help. That was, that was, that was Darwin's approach. But the scientists were taken aback by the findings here. After all, the common notion that the evolution of species on our planet has been progressive and a slow process is rarely challenged by scientific studies. After analyzing the barcodes across 100,000 species, they discovered strong evidence that almost all animals emerged right around the time humans did. This was because there was no variation in the neutral mutations or slight DNA changes across generations that don't impact an individual's odds of survival. The similarity of these neutral mutations to one another can be likened to the rings in a tree in terms of their ability to indicate a species' approximate age, and so forth and so on it goes. Now, people can read the entire article if they'd like from naturalnews.com, but whatever the case is, Darwinian evolution is certainly a prime example of how they professed themselves to be wise, they became fools. I think that that is the verse that we're capturing today. Yeah, and what I think they're finding is that dogs— have always been dogs yeah. and cats always cats yep, and yep, people always yep. people. That's, that's the thing that if they came all about at the same time, that meant that they have always been what they are, which is exactly what we've been saying for years and years and years. Well, this form of Darwinian evolution is a science that's resisting the facts and has resisted the facts and calls itself a theory. It's not a theory. It doesn't have the facts to back it up, but you know, I, I, we've got a, a form of science that's that's been saying who needs the facts for a very long time. Science reduces itself increasingly to irrationality. Now, science begins to create a technology that destroys man, and I think that's what's going on. That's what's been going on for the last 30 years or so. Science begins to draw conclusions and change public policy on the slightest hypotheses concerning global warming or whatever it is. Modern society itself is increasingly irrational. It's not just science that's increasingly irrational. It is modern society itself that is increasingly irrational. 
because they just they've come to the point that they hear a theory that seems to comport with their preconceived ideas of the way the world needs to be that is a world without god and they'll take whatever they'll accept whatever yeah. as long as they can hold on to their preconception that god doesn't exist and they're not morally accountable to god so what you're saying is that these guys aren't going to jump on the Christian bandwagon. They're likely going to try to find some other They're, theory that can still exclude God. They are. And the fossil record, of course, is embarrassingly empty. Embarrassingly empty. You know, you know. again, before setting out to determine what it would take for a rational person to believe that a rock evolved into an ape or an animal or something animate, you know, we, 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 we need to define belief. When somebody believes a rock turned into an ape by naturally evolutionary mechanisms, you know, he may get rid in the face and start yelling, demeaning things at people who don't believe that it happened. Or he might express every evolutionary statement touching on evolution of various species uh, in a matter-of-fact dogmatic way in billions of pages of scientific studies, on millions of web pages, millions of public schools and university classrooms, thousands of nat- natural parks and museums and so forth and so on. Uh, but for a rational person, now that's that's for an irrational person. An irrational person backs up his theory by being sure that the emperor's new clothes propaganda machine is making it into every single museum, every single school and university in America. And you're going to shut up any little guy who stands out of the crowd and says the emperor is nude. <laughs> okay, you're not going to yeah. like that guy. And you're going to shut him up. Now, that's that's one way to express your faith system. Right? Yeah. That is one way to back up your faith system in uh, the fact that a rock turned into a human being over a period of 300 million years by a mechanism that just simply cannot be uh, described or a mechanism that cannot be proven in any form. Now, in order for a rational person to believe in historical macroevolution, you know, I would say that he would want a little bit of scientific evidence. (laughs) <laughs> Which one? Yeah. You know, you for a rational so. person. I'm talking yeah. about a rational person here. Yeah. I'm not talking about a rational person. I'm talking about a rational person. So what would he want? Now, here, I would suggest this. For a rational person to believe that an animate object turned into a animate human being over the period of 300 million years, you would want to see this happen, obviously in a laboratory, but you would also want to see transitional fossils. That would be a good start. Some kind of a half-life creature turning into a living creature. It, you know, a half-life creature. Yeah. Not, not a living creature, a half-life creature. Yeah, the spontaneous generation. Yeah, which yeah, has no, been that's not going to work. Wrong. No, yeah, no, that's not going to work. Yeah. You would want 100 million graduated transition fossilized forms between amoebas and anthropods. And, and, and throw in 100 million graduated transitional fossilized forms between anthropods and fish. Okay, I'm talking about the fossil layers here. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm looking for them. Go out, start digging. You with me here, Steve? Yes. Here's a shovel. Okay, start digging. Okay, I want to see 100 million graduated transitional fossilized forms between amoebas and anthropods, and another 100 million graduated transitional fossilized forms between arthropods and fish. And then, would you also give me 100 million graduated transitional fossilized forms between fish and amphibians, please? Okay, and then maybe another 100 million fossilized forms between amphibians and reptiles. And then maybe 100 million graduated transitionalized fossilized forms between some weasel-like creature and dogs, maybe. And then maybe something between marsupials and cats. And then another 100 million between theropods and birds. And maybe another 100 million between marsupial tree shrews and primates. And another 100 million graduated transitional fossilized forms between simple primates and apes. 
And by the way, the, the fossils need to be fully formed. I'm not talking about a random bone here and there, okay, where some over-imaginative artist can create something out of it. No, I, I want data here, okay? Mm-hmm. So I want data, all right? And uh, so the ops, uh, we also want, here's one more thing. Bef- before we believe that non-life turned into a human being through macroevolution over a period of time with some mechanism you've come up with, okay, I would also like the observation of a single instance of a biogenesis, the appearance of life from non-life. Please. That would be good. Please. (laughs) I would like that too. Now, see, we're talking about a rational person here. What would a rational person want in terms of data? Now, this is my list. There may be somebody out there with a slightly different list, but at least make your list. If you're a rational scientist, what would you require for a wild-eyed hypothesis created by some guy named Chuck Darwin in 1850 to, to, to conclude that you know, this is a theory. This is a viable theory. What, what kind of evidence would you want? So this is the question that, that I would, um, would like to see verified. Also, by the way, it would be helpful to dissect all 900 million fossils in order to see how the various organs actually evolved. So that would be helpful, <laughs> too. Yeah. Um, now, in order to achieve theory status, we would like to repeat the entire process of turning a rock, rock into an ape uh, in a laboratory setting, please. With the mechanisms well identified, I don't. I don't just want some fake mechanism that we're suggesting. And also records from some rational, incredible person who observed it happening that way for four billion years over a period of four billion years. Somebody lived over four billion years and took pictures of it. That would be helpful too. <laughs> be are, nice. are you with me here? Yeah. Well, what would a rational person want? So instead, what we get is a embarrassingly empty fossil record. And, and there's no mechanism for evolution, no proven mechanism either. How did a non-heart-lung animal turn into a heart-lung animal? They, they've disqualified that idea, by the way, of adaptation based on genetic mutation and survival of the fittest. That, that's gone. I don't, think there's a, I don't think there's a reasonable, rational scientist who's hanging on to that one. Rather, they're still producing something like punctuated equilibrium, which is not a mechanism. That's not a mechanism. Punctuated no. equilibrium is like saying something really radical happened to shift one species to another species inside of a single generation, um, we're, we're, we're guessing it was a princess that kissed a frog. That, that's where we're at right now. Yeah, that's, that's why, actually, when all six of our kids were born, we closed the doors and the windows for fear that they may fly out. Like, like turn into something else. Just yeah. some kind of punctuated equilibrium would smack them in the bed. Yeah. And then they'd turn into like a, a human a bird thing or something. or something. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's scary. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want that to happen. Yeah. What if punctuated equilibrium happened <laughs> to my kids tonight? Whoa, scary stuff. No, 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 friends. That's not a mechanism. That's a rapid speciation that comes about by some supernatural energetic force operating upon the substance. That sounds kind of like what happened in Genesis 1. Something a like supernatural that. Yeah. energetic force, <laughs> a power that comes over and creates new species inside of... 24 hours? Something like that. Oh, wow. let's see. What does that sound like to you, Steve? Creation? Sounds, yeah, like creation. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. There's such silliness in all of this, isn't there? Such silliness. And there's a huge difference between the engineering science and the alchemy of my biological evolutionists. You know, in real science, we're, we're experimenting with pressures and temperatures and inputs and then measuring the outputs and arriving at certain results with some percentage of confidence. This is what I did. I was an engineer. I was a scientist. I was an engineer. I worked for a 
couple of companies. One company that produced uh, read write heads for disk drives, and another company that produced airbag inflators. Yeah, I worked for these companies, and we would experiment with uh, the flow of plastics into injection molding machines and such, and we'd you know tweak the pressures and temperatures, and we would you know record the data. And uh, we'd have the inputs recorded, the outputs recorded. We'd do our our, our various fractional um, experiments, uh, L4, L16 experiments and such, Taguchi experiments and such. And, and we would put them through statistical uh, machines and and we would arrive at certain results with some percentage of confidence that if you adjust the pressure this much, your outputs will look like this. And we try to reduce variation in the process. And the design, mm-hmm. and uh, and we would produce helpful products for people. Now, that's not evolutionary science. You see how that's different from evolutionary science? Yeah, the scientific method has to be repeatable, and what you're looking for is falsifiability. If it doesn't work, then your hypothesis is wrong. Mm-hmm. And so sci- the scientific method is seeking to try to eliminate possibilities, not to try to figure out what the possibilities are. But you have to be able to reproduce it. You have to; it has to be verifiable, falsifiable. You have to do it again and again in order to try to figure something out. Evolution is not science, right? And and to equate this kind of evolutionary science, where you're trying to piece together what happened originally based upon your own hypothesis and whatever you see some six thousand years later after the fact, is not the same science. As dropping something 100 times and concluding with 99% probability that gravity exists and G is roughly 32 feet per second per second. That's a different form of science. And I think when it's confused in the minds of the scientist, when we cannot moderate our dogmatism uh, in terms of our science and the various forms of science that we're dealing with, we are increasingly dropping into an irrational view of science. And science itself, the, the line between what is science, what's observable science, repeated science, and what is alchemy becomes rather blurred in the mind of the modern. And that's where we are today. Yeah. And, and so really what happens is that the theory of evolution cannot explain origins. It, it never could. And, and and I looked at actually an article that was in Natural News from 2013 that says that, that there's so many contradictions within this that evolution can no way explain origins. All it can do is look at what already is and try to guess, but there's no explanation of the origins. Well, what has happened since Charles Darwin is he has been increasingly proven as wrong by the fossil layer. He has been proven as wrong by the mitochondrial DNA studies. He is, his method, his mechanism is, is old hat. His mechanism was wrong. It was wrong. It was wrong. And yet, 150 years later, Darwin is still considered the most influential thinker of the last 150 years on almost every single survey ever done. Friends, this is because... The philosophy of Darwin was to eliminate God. The philosophy of Darwin was to distance God from man. This was the psychological motivation that was strong in the heart of Darwin and for a billion people around the globe over the last 150 years. They wanted to escape from God. But God, of course, inescapable. And the data itself is rendering the most influential man's concepts of the last 150 years irrational and wrong. Could it be that he has deceived billions upon billions upon billions of people? Has Charles Darwin deceived 
99.6% of biology professors and biology departments in the major universities across America. Could it be that Darwin has produced the most outrageous emperor's new clothes propaganda machine in the history of the world? Could it be? Could it be that as they presented themselves as wise, they became fools? Could that be the description of the last 150 years of worldviews that have been foisted upon the Western world? Could this be the story of the decline of the Western world? And that's the story I pick up in my book, Apostate, The Men Who Destroyed the Christian World. Apostate, The Men Who Destroyed the Christian West. This book, my friends, is our signature book that has gone out thousands upon thousands, now tens of thousands of copies around the world. And uh, it will help you to understand the philosophies that made and broke the modern world. You want to know how it was made and how it was broken? Check it out in our book, Apostate, The Men Who Destroyed the Christian West. It's a paperback form. It's been rewritten. We have new chapters, and it is... Pretty much the concluding analysis of my work and the generation's work on the philosophies that created and broke down the Western world. Not just the Christian worldview in the Western world, but the Western world itself. Now, of course, it's going to be God's word. It's going to be the truth of Christ. It is going to be the Christian world and life view that will reconstruct science one more time, that will reconstruct entire socioeconomic systems one more time. So we're going to come back to the Word of God as the standard by which we will continue to rebuild our educational systems and our epistemological systems over the next generation or two. So get a copy of the story in our book, Apostate the Men Who Destroyed the Christian West, available at our website, kevinswanson.com or generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.